Blog Talk Radio. Welcome back to Zion's Redemption Radio Network. I'm your host, Mark Lichtenwalter. Today we'll be covering Chapter 10 of Gift of Tongues, pages 93 to 110. The title of the chapter is Misunderstanding the Gift. We'll listen to the... reading portion of the program, which is about 50 minutes long, and then we'll get into the reading and commentary portion after. The guest call-in line is 917-889-8827. That's 917-889-8827. We'll take phone calls during the reading portion of this program off air. So I'll pull you into the screening room if you have any questions or comments. And then the phone lines will be open during the reading, excuse me, the reading and commentary portion of the program. Thank you for listening. Misunderstanding the gift. Chapter 10 of Gift of Tongues, pages 93 to 110 speak not in the gift of tongues without understanding it, or without interpretation. The devil can speak in tongues, the adversary will come with his work. He can tempt all classes and dash can speak in English or Dutch. Let no one speak in tongues, unless he interpret except by the consent of the one who is placed to preside, then he may discern or interpret, or another may. Journal of Discourses The present Christian world does not really understand the gift of tongues, nor any of the other gifts of the Spirit and dash, hence they are deceived. There are specific purposes for these gifts, and there are proper rules of order that govern the exercise thereof and dash otherwise deception will follow. The prophet Joseph Smith gives the following story of deceptions occurring among the Christians in those early days of the LDS church. The Irvingites are a people that have counterfeited the truth, perhaps the nearest of any of our modern sectarians. They commenced about 10 years ago in the city of London, in England. They have churches formed in various parts of England and Scotland, and some few in Upper Canada. Mr. Irving, their founder, was a learned and talented minister of the Church of Scotland. He was a great logician, and a powerful orator, but withal wild and enthusiastic in his views. Moving in the higher circles, and possessing talent and zeal, placed him in a situation to become a conspicuous character and to raise up a society similar to that which is called after his name. 
Irvingites had apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists, and angels. They profess to have the gift of tongues, and the interpretation of tongues, and, in some few instances, to have the gift of healing. The first prophetic spirit that was manifested was in some Mrs. Cabin that Mr. Irving met with, while on a journey in Scotland. They had, what is termed among their sect, utterances, which were evidently of a supernatural agency. Mr. Irving, falling into the common error of considering all supernatural manifestations to be of God, took them to London with him, and introduced them into his church. They were then honored as the prophetesses of God, and when they spoke, Mr. Irving or any of his ministers had to keep silence. They were peculiarly wrought upon before the congregation, and had strange utterances, uttered with an unnatural, shrill voice, and with thrilling intonations they frequently made use of a few broken, unconnected sentences, that were ambiguous, incoherent, and incomprehensible. At other times they were more clearly understood. They would frequently cry out, There is iniquity. There is iniquity. And Mr. Irving has been led, under the influence of this charge, to fall down upon his knees before the public congregation, and to confess his sin, not knowing whether he had sinned, nor wherein, nor whether the thing referred to him, or somebody else. During these operations, the bodies of the persons speaking were powerfully wrought upon, their countenances were distorted, they had frequent twitchings in their hands, and the whole system was powerfully convulsed at intervals. They sometimes, however, it is supposed, spoke in correct tongues, and had true interpretations. Under the influence of this spirit the church was organized by these women, apostles, prophets, ampers and sea, was soon called, and a systematic order of things introduced, as above mentioned. Some of the present-day Christian churches still exhibit the same mutterings and twitchings described by the prophet Joseph Smith. If they understood the nature of these gifts they would not be given over to such strange, incoherent and misunderstood influences. The prophet Joseph gave the following warning. If you have a matter to reveal, let it be in your own tongue. Do not indulge too much in the exercise of the gift of tongues, or the devil will take advantage of the innocent and unwary. You may speak in tongues for your own comfort, but I lay this down for a rule, that if anything is taught by the gift of tongues, it is not to be received for doctrine. These gifts and related deceptions occur all over the world as the prophet explained. Again it may be asked, how it was that they could speak in tongues if they were of the devil. We would answer that they could be made to speak in another tongue, as well as their own, as they were under the control of that spirit, and the devil can tempt the Hutzontat, the Turk, the Jew, or any other nation. And if these men were under the influence of his spirit, they of course could speak Hebrew, Latin, Greek, Italian, Dutch, or any other language that the devil knew. Many people from around the world, 
and from many different Christian churches joined Mormonism and brought their customs, philosophies and religious ideas with them. This caused considerable problems for the church as Joseph wrote of it. Considerable problems for the church as Joseph wrote of it. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has also had its false spirits. And as it is made up of all those different sects professing every variety of opinion, and having been under the influence of so many kinds of spirits, it is not to be wondered at if there should be found among us false spirits. Soon after the Gospel was established in Kirtland, and during the absence of the authorities of the Church, many false spirits were introduced, many strange visions were seen, and wild, enthusiastic notions were entertained. Men ran out of doors under the influence of this spirit, and some of them got upon the stumps of trees and shouted, and all kinds of extravagances were entered into by them. One man pursued a ball that he said he saw flying in the air, until he came to a precipice, when he jumped into the top of a tree, which saved his life. And many ridiculous things were entered into, calculated to bring disgrace upon the Church of God, to cause the Spirit of God to be withdrawn, and to uproot and destroy those glorious principles which has been developed for the salvation of the human family. But when the authorities returned, the Spirit was made manifest. Those members that were exercised with it were tried for their fellowship, and those that would not repent and forsake it were cut off. At a subsequent period a Shaker spirit was on the point of being introduced, and at another time the Methodist then Presbyterian falling down power, but the spirit was rebuked and put down, and those who would not submit to rule and good order were disfellowshipped. We have also had brethren and sisters who have had a gift of tongues falsely. They would speak in a muttering unnatural voice, and their bodies be distorted like the Irving Heights before alluded to. Whereas there is nothing unnatural in the Spirit of God. There are many blessings that came from the gift of tongues, but there were also many problems and deceptions. Three years after the organization of the church, the prophet gave this warning. As to the gift of tongues, all we can say is, that in its place, we have received it as the ancients did. We wish you, however, to be careful lest in this you be deceived. Guard against the evils which may arise from any accounts given by women, or otherwise. Be careful in all things, lest any root of bitterness spring up among you, and thereby many be defiled. Satan will no doubt trouble you about the gift of tongues, unless you are careful. You cannot watch him too closely, nor pray too much. May the Lord give you wisdom in all things. In a letter written by Frederick G. Williams he indicated many of these problems that were occurring in the church. We have seen a letter, written to Sister Whitney, in Nelson, that has a great deal to say about the gift of tongues, and the interpretation which was given by way of prophecy, namely, that Zion would be delivered by judgments, and that certain ones named, would go to such and such places among the Lamanites, and great things would be done by them, and also that two Lamanites were at a meeting, and the following prophecy was delivered to them, in dash, that they were our friends, and that the Lord had sent them there. 
and the time would soon come when they would embrace the gospel and also that if we will not fight for ourselves the Indians will fight for us. Though all this may be true, yet it is not needful that it should be spoken for it is of no service to the saints and has a tendency to stir up the people to anger. No prophecy spoken in tongues should be made public for this reason and dash many who pretend to have the gift of interpretation are liable to be mistaken and do not give the true interpretation of what is spoken. Therefore, great care should be taken as respects this thing, but, if any speak in tongues a word of exhortation, or doctrine, or the principles of the gospel, etc., let it be interpreted for the edification of the church. Joseph gives a key to help in discerning these errors. Could anyone tell the length, breadth or height of a building without a rule? Test the quality of metals without a criterion, or point out the movements of the planetary systems, without a knowledge of astronomy? Certainly not. And if such ignorance as this is manifested about a spirit of this kind, who can describe an angel of light? If Satan should appear as one in glory, we can tell his color, his signs, his appearance, his glory? And dash for what is the manner of his manifestation? Who can detect the spirit of the French prophets with their revelations and their visions and power of manifestations? Or who can point out the spirit of the Irvingites with their apostles and prophets and visions and tongues and interpretations? Ampersand C. Ampersand C. Or who can drag into daylight and develop the hidden mysteries of the false spirits that so frequently are made manifest among the Latter-day Saints? Manifest among the Latter-day Saints? We answer that no man can do it without the priesthood, and having a knowledge of the laws by which spirits are governed. For as no man knows the things of God, but by the Spirit of God, so no man knows the spirit of the devil, and his power and influence, but by possessing intelligence which is more than human, and having unfolded through the medium of the priesthood the mysterious operations of his devices, without knowing the angelic form, the sanctified look and gesture, and the zeal that is frequently manifested by him for the glory of God, together with the prophetic spirit, the gracious influence, the godly appearance, and the Holy God, which are so characteristic of his proceedings and his mysterious windings. A man must have the discerning of spirits before he can drag into daylight this hellish influence and unfold it unto the world in all its soul-destroying, diabolical, and horrid colors. For nothing is a greater injury to the children of men than to be under the influence of a false spirit when they think they have the Spirit of God. One such problem arose in Jackson County and had to be corrected by the prophet and others. Charles English testified that the Hulet branch believed that they received the word of the Lord by the gift of tongues, and would not proceed to their temporal business without receiving the word of the Lord. Sylvester Hulet would speak, and Sally Crandall interpret. Said they would not receive the teachings of ordained members, even Brother Joseph Smith, June. 
for himself unless he agreed with their gifts. Said they received the word of the Lord while they were in Jackson County that they were to be persecuted by their brethren in Clay County, and now it had come. Also said that the head of the church would have to come down and receive the gifts, and they did. Said that day, the Hewlett branch had come up to their privileges more than the rest of the church. They thought they were right, but if they could be convinced that they were wrong, they would retract. Sister Crandall professed to know on cement cars. Daniel Stinton testified that Sally Crandall said she saw his heart and saw two books in it, and that there was an ifite standing behind him to push him into his duty. Also that Sylvester Hula spoke in tongues in meeting, and Sally Crandall interpreted thus, Verily, verily, thus saith the Lord unto you, little band, you must beware there are many who are seeking to pry into your privileges. Absalom Critchfield testified that when he was in Jackson County last spring, the Hewlett branch said, in tongues, that they would be safe, during the night, from any interruption by the mob, but, before morning, my man Leonard and Josiah Sumner were whipped. They also said that they saw my heart, and three young women in it. After counselors had spoken, the president said, as for the gift of tongues in the manner it was used in the Hewlett branch, the devil deceived them, and they obtained not the word of the Lord, as they supposed, but were deceived. And as for the gift of seeing, as held by the Hewlett branch, it is of the devil, saith the Lord God. The council were unanimous in sanctioning the decision and appointed Amzal Liman and Simeon Carter to go on labor with Brother Hulet and Sister Crandall, and others of like faith, and set the truth in order before them. I have been thus particular in given the history of this council, as the gift of tongues is so often made use of by Satan to deceive the saints. The editor of the Lehona, or Elder's Journal, gave a rather extensive, but important, explanation of the LDS views of the gift of tongues. Speaking in tongues. Some stir has been occasioned in religious circles in this country by reports from India to the effect that the miraculous gift of tongues has been manifested lately among Hindu Christians. The principal authority for the report seems to be Mr. Way Ellis a religious worker who recently made a world tour of inspection of the various missionary enterprises of the church, and whose past labors are warmly commended by the Presbyterian Standard of Charlotte, S.C., that paper quotes from an address by Mr. Ellis, delivered last July, the following passage. These girls were pleading for a visitation of the Spirit of God for India and dash the Spirit of God had come to them and endue them with the spirit of intercessory prayer, and some of these girls who did not understand English were praying in English. Some of the girls who did not understand Greek were praying in Greek. Some of them were praying in Hebrew. Some of them were praying in tongues that no man can interpret. I do not know what it means in dash the fact for the n dash I testify to them. Mr. Ellis, as quoted by the Standard, 
further suggested the Cardians, revealing himself to the poor and the ignorant and the heathen as he revealed himself on the day of Pentecost. Himself on the day of Pentecost. The standard, while speaking in terms of the highest praise of Mr. Ellis' services to the missionary cause, wants to have his testimony corroborated before accepting it. It says, We do not wish to discredit Mr. Ellis. We prize too highly the magnificent contributions which he has made to the rising kind of missionary interest. Our hearts have rejoiced, and thanked God for such a voice, as we have read his thrilling appeals to the Christian manhood of the church. His addresses are as the clarion note of the trumpet, and seem to be rousing the strongholds of heathenism. We would not abate one jot of the enthusiasm which they are evoking. At the same time can we permit his deliberate testimony to that which is manifestly miraculous, and which he himself parallels to Pentecost, to pass unchallenged? From the days of Montanus in the second century down to our own day there have been, from time to time, sects of enthusiasts claiming the gift of tongues. At this very hour there are, in more than one state of our union, earnest souls who make this claim. But all the while, that which passes for conservative orthodoxy has branded this claim an evidence of fanaticism. Are we now to revise our judgment in deference to Mr. Wade Ellis? If so, are we going to give these earnest souls in our land the benefit of this revision? Or shall we rest our faith only on the testimony of Mr. Ellis, and grant that alone in far distant India God has been graciously pleased to duplicate Pentecost? We may say for ourselves that we have no zeal in the behalf of skepticism. The idea of genuine Pentecostal miracles is not in the least repellent to us. But out of the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. It would seem to be only fair in a case of this kind to have confirmatory testimony from some of our numerous missionaries in India. The foregoing quotations are given by the Literary Digest of February the 1st, and a correspondent in Lihi, Utah referring to that publication, requests Lehona, the Elder's Journal, to give an opinion as to whether this gift of tongues, exercised by these Hindu girls, comes from the Spirit of the Lord, or from some other source. We do not hesitate to express the belief that it does not come by the power of the Holy Ghost, as the genuine gift of tongues always does, but that it is produced by an entirely different agency. This is said on the assumption that the Hindu girls actually spoke in unknown tongues, as described by Mr. Ellis. We are not undertaking to pass upon his veracity, but would be willing to accept reasonable proof of the phenomena of which he speaks. We regard them as in line with what may be looked for in various parts of the world, from now on until the coming of the Son of Man. Benighted fanatics in heathen countries are not the only persons who are being deluded by a gift of tongues emanating from a wrong source. Here in the United States, during recent years, 
In the full blaze of a much boasted Christian enlightenment, scholarship and civilization, many pious and educated persons have been carried away by the same delusion. The persons here refer to, filled with missionary zeal, and claiming to be possessed of the gift of tongues, by which they were able to preach the gospel to the inhabitants of such heathen countries as China, Japan, India, etc., have gone to those remote parts of the earth expecting to preach to the natives, without study or other effort to acquire the language, and dismal failure has been the result in every case, so far as we have yet learned. We quote from an article headed, Tongue Deluded Missionaries, in the Literary Digest of February the 8th. The movement known as the Gift of Tongues seems to prove a curious delusion to those who attempt to test it practically. Missionary S.C. Todd, of the Bible Missionary Society, writes from Macau, China, of investigations he has made in the three great mission fields of the world, China, Japan, and India, concerning four different groups of workers who have come out thinking that their gift of tongues was a language with which they could speak to the people. He adds that all of these, when arriving on the field, found they were mistaken, and that they could not preach to the people any more than other missionaries who never heard of the power to speak in tongues. Some of the deluded ones have found means to get to the east only to meet disaster and poverty there. Many who speak in tongues and feel they are called to the mission field are wholly unprepared by nature or training to be missionaries, and yet are starting for the field. One woman in the United States wrote to the missionary that her 14-year-old daughter has the gift of tongues and can speak in some dozen or more languages. This child feels called to China. Mr. Todd Gibbs, in the Baptist Argus of Louisville, Kai. A number of specific cases, as follows. I have been asked about a certain Mr. McIntosh, notwithstanding his statements that he expected to preach at once to the people, he has been wholly unable to do so. Do so. He must not only have an interpreter in preaching, but also in the simplest affairs of everyday life. From the day of his arrival in China until now neither he nor his wife has been able to speak a single sentence in Chinese. I do not speak from rumor, but from personal knowledge, and the personal admission of failure by Mr. McIntosh himself. As to Japan, while there I met a party of about a dozen missionaries who had come out from the state of Washington, on the Pacific coast. I visited them in their home and attended one of their services. They, too, expected to speak at once to the people, but on reaching Japan they were powerless to do so. They admitted to me their inability, and I saw it with my own eyes. As to India. You remember that Rev. A.G. Garan wife went there also expecting to speak to the people in this supernatural way. But did they? They have now left India and are in Hong Kong. I have attended two of their services. Mr. Gao, 
in reply to a personal question of mine as to whether either he or his wife had been able to talk in the native language of India, said that they had been unable to do so. Again, two ladies came on from the Japan party to Hong Kong because they felt they had a gift of that Hong Kong dialect. I have seen them, inquired of their power to talk in Chinese, and they too are unable to speak. Mr. Todd Sagely remarks that there is need of a sober looking at things in America by the leaders of this movement, or these foreign lands will be the scene of many erect life and wasted surveys, and speaks also of that serious situation brought to light by the failure of these honest but mistaken people. He lays down these two propositions, the tongue which is being given to so many in America and other lands at this time is not a tongue with which a heathen can be evangelized. None who have this tongue should for a moment think that they are thus qualified to preach to the heathen. By no means let any come to the foreign field until they have had their tongue tested by someone actually from that field. Otherwise they will certainly meet with disappointment on arrival at their destination. Many in their homeland who are thus speaking in tongues and looking to the foreign field are not counting the cost. Their supposed power of at once preaching to the people throws an unhealthy jam about being a missionary. They come out but to find they are as helpless as newborn babies. Their tongue proves in actual contact with the native population to be nothing more than an unknown tongue. This is quite a different condition of affairs to that which they expected, and in the sudden reversal of their expectations they are faced with a new situation, and one that many are not prepared for, viz. To buckle down to hard study, like all other missionaries have done, and acquired by hard and long work the language. This knocks the wind out of their sails, and at one blow a large part of the glow surrounding their supposed call to the heathen is gone. Unless they have grit as well as grace, and a goodly supply of both, they are likely to settle down to a life of revulsion to all the supernatural in religion, or to idleness, or, worse still, for it into sin. We have here a record of the fruits of a power or spirit which seeks to counterfeit some of the genuine fruits of the true gospel of Christ, as taught and practiced by the Latter-day Saints. And it is easy to perceive the helplessness of the average sectarian minister to protect himself or his flock, at home or abroad, against being imposed upon by such agencies of darkness. He is not the necessary key of knowledge to do this as have the elders of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It is a noteworthy fact that all this, speaking in tongues, among sectarian zealots and missionaries, or would-be missionaries, has proven a complete failure so far as glorifying the God of Heaven, or conferring permanent and tangible benefits upon any of His human children, is concerned. This fact alone proves the source of the wonder exciting phenomenon to be evil, for when the gift of tongues is exercised by the power of the Holy Ghost, those who have it and those who witness it are blessed, edified and strengthened, and the Almighty is glorified, and when the gift is employed for the purpose for which it is chiefly designed, namely, 
to enable the servants of the Lord to preach the gospel to peoples whose languages they have not had an opportunity of learning in the usual ways. The kingdom of heaven is extended and precious souls are saved. No fiasco attends this gift when it emanates from the right source. By the fruits of any supernatural manifestations its source may be known. In dash. Only persons who have obeyed the first principles of the gospel of Christ by believing and repenting, and by being baptized and confirmed members of his church are, as a matter of right under divine law, entitled to the Holy Ghost, one of the gifts of which is the power to speak in unknown tongues. It is true that there is one instance recorded in the New Testament wherein unbaptized persons received the Holy Ghost in such power and abundance that they were enabled to speak in tongues by it, and there was no question as to the source of the miraculous gift, for Peter, who held the keys of the kingdom of God, and was a prophet, seer and revelator, declared that those who exercised it had received the Holy Ghost. But it is easy to show that this case was an unusual one, given for a special purpose, and an exception to the terms upon which the Holy Ghost was promised. References he made to the case of Cornelius of Caesarea, set forth in the 10th chapter of Acts. Though a devout and most worthy man, he was a Roman military officer and of course a Gentile and under the traditions of the Jews was not entitled to the blessings of the gospel. It was necessary to remove this tradition from the primitive church, and the Lord adopted an effectual way to do this. An angel appeared to Cornelius and told him to send to Joppa for Peter, who, the angel said, would tell him what he ought to do. Next day, while the messengers of Cornelius were on their way to the house where Peter lodged, the latter had a vision, thrice repeated, the lesson of which was that he must not call common or unclean that which God had cleansed. The application of this lesson was at hand, for while Peter was wondering what the vision meant, the messengers of Cornelius arrived. Being commanded so to do by the spirit of revelation, Peter and a number of his brethren accompanied them to the home of Cornelius, where an assemblage had gathered. It was an epoch-making occasion. Peter spoke of the law forbidding association between a Jew and those of other nations, but said, God hath showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Cornelius recited the visitation to him of the angel, and Peter preached a powerful gospel sermon. What followed is thus told. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard a word. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues, and magnify God. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water? that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. In dash, the promise made in many passages of scripture, 
and particularly in the last chapter of Mark, is that the miraculous gifts of the Holy Ghost shall follow them that believe. Believe what? The Gospel of Christ as taught by his authorized servants. In other words, faith in the truth is the principle of power by which the miraculous gifts of the Holy Ghost are acquired and exercised. It was the faith of Cornelius and those assembled in his house that caused the Holy Ghost to be poured out upon them, and that enabled some of them to speak in tongues. Faith in what? In the pure and genuine gospel of Christ as taught to them by his authorized servant and representative, Peter. The doctrine which the Gentiles on this occasion believed was a true doctrine, the authority by which it was presented to them was a true authority, and the faith they possessed was a true faith. Consequently the fruits of that faith were the true fruits of the Holy Ghost, and by demonstrating to Peter and his brethren that they had actually received the Holy Ghost, and were actually exercising some of its miraculous gifts, they showed that they were entitled to be baptized, notwithstanding that they were Gentiles. And this accounts for the bestowal upon them of a miraculous gift by the power of the Holy Ghost before baptism, whereas the promise of such a blessing applies only to those who have been baptized. Thus Peter on the day of Pentecost said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. In dash, hundreds of elders of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, who have been sent into strange and distant countries as missionaries, with no knowledge of any language except their mother tongue, and sometimes with scant education in that, have, by the power of God, obtained a knowledge of the language of the people to whom they were sent. In some cases ability to speak the native tongue has come suddenly, but usually it has been acquired by faith, prayer and diligent study, supplemented by the aid of the Spirit of God. In every such instance the elder himself has been blessed beyond measure. He has praised and glorified his Heavenly Father, while his usefulness and success as a messenger of salvation have been vastly increased. Honest souls among whom he has labored, seeing the power of God thus made manifest in him, and hearing his teachings and testimony thus imparted to them by divine aid and inspiration, have also been led to glorify the Lord and obey his commandments. His commandments good and not evil has thus resulted to all concerned. Why is it that such beneficent results flow from the exercise of the gift of tongues by missionaries of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, while failure, chagrin and distress attend attempts to employ made by missionaries of other denominations? Because that church is the only one in the world which possesses divine authority to confer upon converts the Holy Ghost, of which the genuine gift of tongues is at once a fruit and a proof. In dash, how can missionaries who represent the different jarring, conflicting sects of Christendom ascertain whether the gift of tongues displayed by or among them is a genuine manifestation of the Holy Ghost?
the exercise of a little sound common sense could be a great aid in reaching a correct conclusion. Take for example a party of missionaries in Japan, representing a dozen different sects. Let us suppose M- a far-fetched supposition, by the way M- that each missionary received, in a miraculous manner, power to speak the native tongue, and each proceeds to preach his own doctrine. One teaches that baptism is necessary, another that it is not. A third proclaims sprinkling to be the proper form of the ordinance, while a fourth declares that converts must be immersed. A fifth baptizes infants, a sixth limits the right to persons who have reached an age of discretion. A seventh preaches election and for ordination, while an eighth teaches free will, and so on. Is it to be for an instant believed that the Holy Ghost, by its immediate and miraculous manifestations, would be the author of such confusion? Certainly not. Whence then such a display of the gift of tongues? All persons witnessing it would be perfectly safe in attributing it to the mischievous and malicious powers of darkness that are incessantly at war with mankind, and constantly seek to deceive and entrap all who come within their influence. The beholders of such a display would further be abundantly justified in concluding that the missionaries through whom it was made were not duly authorized the servants of the true and living God, and that he had no part nor lot in their labors and would refuse to sanction or ratify anything they might assume to do in his name. In dash. What protection have the inhabitants of the earth against being ensnared by the speaking in tongues, and other miraculous manifestations, that emanate from sources of darkness and evil? There is no protection for the children of men against such snares of the adversary except in the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is revealed through the prophet Joseph Smith, and in the church which he, under the direction of the Almighty, organized and established. None of the many different Gospels taught by the many different clashing sects of Christendom afford protection against such delusions. Priests and people are alike helpless to detect or guard against them. Children of light are in the world. They are weak and their numbers are few. They are showing their light to the children of men, and it is attracting those who love it. In order to confuse and deceive the masses, the adversary is setting up false beacons, which are followed by vast multitudes. A great spiritual conflict is thus being waged. The light is gaining upon the darkness. As the conflict progresses it will take on physical as well as spiritual features. The wicked will be destroyed and the earth will be prepared for the millennial reign of righteousness of which the scriptures speak. The latter-day saints walk in the light, and they are laboring with great diligence to extend it abroad in the world. The church had many experiences with the gift of tongues and dash some good, some bad. It took many years for the saints to understand the nature of this gift and to use it in the manner that God intended. Another detriment to the church arose when people apostatized and spiritual gifts seemed to continue with them, but from another source. 
Brigham Young explained. Take, for instance, the gift of tongues. Years ago in this church you could find men of age and seemingly of experience who would preach and raise up branches and when quite young boys or girls would get up and speak in tongues and others interpret and perhaps that interpretation instructing the elders who brought them into the church they would turn round and say I know my duty this is the word of the Lord to me and I must do as these boys or girls have spoken in tongues you ask one of the elders if they understand things so now and they will say no the gifts are from the Lord and we are agents to use them as we please if a man is called to be a prophet and the gift of prophecy is poured upon him though he afterwards actually defies the power of God and turns away from the holy commandments that man will continue in his gift and will prophesy lies he will make false prophecies yet he will do it by the spirit of prophecy he will feel that he is a prophet and can prophesy but he does it by another spirit and power than that which was given him of the Lord he uses the gift as much as you and I use ours. Journal of Discourses The Restoration of the Gospel brought a significant new chapter in understanding. With the priesthood and the attending powers and gifts, the saints could learn about the nature of spirits, detecting them, and thereby learning how to develop the gift of discernment to keep from being deceived. Chapter 11 Singing in Tongues Misunderstanding the Gift, Chapter 10 of Gift of Tongues, pages 93 to 110. Speak not in the gift of tongues without understanding it, or without interpretation. The devil can speak in tongues. The adversary will come with his work. He can tempt all classes, can speak in English or Dutch. Let no one speak in tongues unless he interpret except by the con uh, consent of the one who is placed to preside, then he may discern or interpret, or another may. Joseph Smith, Journal of Discourses, Volume 6, page 18, I'm sorry, page 240, and that was somebody quoting Joseph Smith, who said that in 1834, and I don't know why we don't just have the original comment, but whatever that's found in the Journal of Discourses, which is uh, kind of like General Conference after the Saints moved west, and they recorded it, and then Brigham Young um, was the editor-in-chief of it, so whatever. And anyway, it's interesting. All right. 
The present Christian world does not really understand the gift of tongues, nor any of the other gifts of the Spirit, hence they are deceived. There are specific purposes for these gifts, and there are proper rules of order that govern the exercise thereof. Otherwise, deceptions will follow. The Prophet Joseph Smith gives the following story of deceptions occurring among the Christians of those early days of the LDS Church. The Irvinites are a people that have counterfeit, counterfeited the truth, perhaps the nearest of any of our modern sectarians. They commenced about 10 years ago, commenced about 10 years ago in the city of London in England. They have churches formed in various parts of England and Scotland and some few in Upper Canada. Miss Irving, their, or Mr. Irving, their founder, was a learned and talented minister of the Church of Scotland. He was a great lo- logician, logician, I guess, and a powerful, powerful orator. But with withal wild and enthusiastic in his views, moving in higher circles and possessing talent and zeal placed him in a situation to become a conspicuous character and to raise up a society similar to that which is called after his name. The Irvingites have apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists, and angels. They profess to have the gift of tongues and the interpretation of tongues and in some few instances to have the gift of healing. The first prophetic spirit that was manifest manifested in some Mrs. Campbell that Irv, Mr. Irving met with while in a journey to Scotland, they had what is termed among their sect utterances, which were evidently of a supernatural agency. Mr. Irving falling into common error and considering all supernatural manifestations to be of God Took them to London, took them to London with him, and introduced them into his church. They were there honored as prophetesses of God, and when they spoke, Mr. Irving or any of his ministers had to keep silent. They were particularly wrought upon before the congregation and had strange utterances uttered with the unnatural, shrill voices and with thrilling annotations that frequently made use of a few broken, unconnected sentences that were ambiguous, incoherent, and incomprehensible. At other times, they were more clearly understood. They would frequently cry out, There is iniquity! There is iniquity! And Mr. Irving has been led, under the influence of this charge, to fall down upon his knees before the public congregation and to confess his sins, not knowing whether he had sinned or wherein, nor whether the thing referred to him or somebody else. During these operations, the bodies of the persons speaking were powerfully wrought upon, their countenances were distorted, and they had frequent twitching in their hands, and the whole system was powerfully convulsed at intervals. They sometimes, however, it is supposed, spoke in correct tongues, 
and had true interpretations. Under the influence of this spirit, the church was organized by these women, apostles, prophets, etc., and were soon called and a systematic order of things introduced as above mentioned. And that's, as, that's recorded in the Doctoral History of the Church, Volume 4, page 577, page 95. Some of the present-day Christian churches still exhibit the same mutterings and twitchings described by the Prophet Joseph Smith. If they understood the nature of these gifts, they would not be given over to such strange, incoherent, and misunderstood influences. The prophet Joseph gave the following warning, quote, If you have a matter to reveal, let it be in your own tongue. Do not indulge too much in the exercise of the gift of tongues, or the devil will take advantage of the innocent and unwary. You may speak in tongues for your own comfort, but I lay this down for a rule that if anything is taught by the gift of tongues, it is not to be received for doctrine. April, uh, April of 1842, as recorded in Doctrinal History of the Church, Volume 4, page 607. These gifts and related deceptions occur all over the world, as the prophet explained. Quote, Again, it may be asked how it was that they could speak in tongues if they were of the devil. We would answer that they could be made to speak in another tongue as well as their own, as they were under the control of that spirit, and the devil contempt the hot knot, I don't know what that is, the Turk, the Jew, or any other nation, and if these men were under the influence of his spirit, they could, of course, speak Hebrew, Latin, Greek, Italian, Dutch, or any other language that the devil knew, which is basically all the languages. Doctrinal History of the Church, Volume 4, page 479. Many people from around the world and many different Christian churches joined Mormonism and brought their customs, philosophies, and religious ideas with them. This caused considerable problems for the church, as Joseph wrote it, quote, The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has also had its false spirits, and as it is made up of all of those different sects, professing every variety of opinion, and having been under the influence of so many kinds of spirits, it is not to be... It is not to be wondered at if there should be found among us false spirits. Soon after the gospel is established in Kirtland and during the absence of the authorities of the church, many false spirits were introduced. Many strange visions were seen and wild enthusiastic notions were entertained. Men ran out of, ran out of doors under the influence of this spirit and some of them got upon the stumps of trees and shouted, and all kinds of extravagance were entered into by them. One man pursued a ball that he said he saw flying through the air until it came to a precipice. Then he jumped onto the top of the tree, which saved his life, and many ridiculous things were entered into, calculated to bring disgrace upon the church of God to cause the Spirit of God to be withdrawn and to uproot and destroy those glorious principles 
which had been developed for the salvation of the human family. But when the authorities returned, the spirit was made manifest and those members were exercised with it that were exercised with it were tried for their, dis, uh, for their fellowship, and those that would not repent and forsake it were cut off. At a subsequent period, a shaker spirit was on the point of being introduced, and at another time, the Methodist and Presbyterian falling down power, but the spirit was rebuked and put down, and those who would not submit to rule and good order were disfellowshipped. We, we have also had brethren and sisters who have had the gift of tongues falsely. They would speak in a muttering, unnatural voice, and their bodies be distorted like the Irvingites before alluded to, whereas there is nothing unnatural in the Spirit of God. End quote. Doctrinal History of the Church, Volume 4, pages 580. So this just reminds me of something that happened in the Church of the Living Messiah a number of years ago, where an individual had the gift of seership and could receive prophecy and revelations. And a lot of his stuff was good, but in the scriptures it says to try the spirits. For thereby many false spirits have gone out into the world. Well, I tried to correct him and try to tell him how to test the spirit so that he could do it for himself. Because when the veil is opened and you receive these gifts, Satan wants to give you a whole bunch of these gifts to mimic the gift of God. And... Any time that the veil is opened, um, you know, you'll receive stuff from God and stuff from from your own mind, and you'll receive stuff from Satan. And you need to, to check it with Scripture and by confirmation of the Holy Spirit. And um, I kept telling this individual, you know, hey, like, you these revelations that you're receiving are bad. You need to go to God. And he was so prideful that he would not check them. And he talked about how um, he's just going to put everything out there that he gets and people can figure it out for themselves. And I was like, you are going to become a prophet of the devil. But he would not listen. And eventually, in his pride, he tried to overthrow the church, uh, the Church of the Living Messiah, which I was commanded to organize in, uh, in 2013. And he and another person, which I always told him was a Judas goat, um, there was just a, a wrong spirit about him, and I could tell, you know. Anyway... These individuals uh, ended up in prison, so which is where they belong. And the one individual continues, well, he hasn't done it for a while, but he uh, tried continuing sending me revelations, and I just wouldn't have anything to do with him because God told me in July of 2016, I think it was, to excommunicate them both and have nothing further to do with either of them unless one of them repented but not to have anything to do with the other one at all. 
And so, uh, so I excommunicated them both and let them, I sent them the revelation and I notified them. And anyway, they tried to come over to the house like six months after that because it turns out they were on the run from the law. And I didn't know that at the time, but I told them, nope, nothing further to do with you guys, you know. And uh, anyway, so they went to prison, and then the one individual who I warned, which was receiving the wrong, uh, you know, revelations from the wrong spirit, um, he tried to send me revelations to his mother, and uh, I just wouldn't even take them, so... Kim, did you have any comments about all of that that I just talked about or anything I just read? No, I'm just listening. Okay. I know you went through the whole thing, too. So was I wrong about anything I said, or is there any insight that you wanted to add to it or just listening? Um, like with the whole, like... Knowing he's in jail, or no, just what happened. Ugh, I don't like talking about it. Uh, that stuff. Yeah, <laughs> I don't like talking about it either. But it did happen, and I tell you. So here's the thing about me and my wife: she's my counselor, and I talk to her about everything. Oh, the one thing they wanted to do. Remember, they didn't want you to be around when they were trying to uh, overthrow the church. Yeah. And you were like, what the heck? And I was like, uh, I told him, nope, anything you got to say to me, you can say in front of my wife. Like, they yeah. wanted to try to they separate us. They always try to do things hush-hush or, like, in the darkness, and that's not good. Yeah, I mean, they started the Knights of the Crystal Blade, and I found out about it later, and I was like, what is this all about? And they started that before I was given the revelation to excommunicate them and they wanted to keep it all secret well for at first he like wanted me to teach to the girls and then he because he was feeling guilty because he knew they should have been going to school and then that's his daughter he yeah then he wasn't even consistent and then i kept calling him out on things like that he needed to do for them and then he would think that I was being excessive. Like, he doesn't think that um, we should, you know, buy them more clothes or, like, shoes or anything like that. He didn't, I mean, most of my stuff is, like, all about the kids, the girls, because I was always trying to, like, you know, give him the benefit of the doubt. Like, oh, he's just a dad who doesn't know, but... Yeah, and he yeah. would get upset when we'd give him a bunch of clothes and, and socks and shoes. and Like, his daughters didn't even have coats in the wintertime. So we gave him coats, and we tried to help him because his daughter should have been in school. Um, well, I think the older one was supposed to be in kindergarten, but the younger one wasn't yet at that point. But, yeah, it was just a, it was the, whole, the whole situation was just a mess. And luckily, or, well, unfortunately, the family, the same part of the family, um, they were not able to obtain custody of these, you know, these two young girls, but they are with a good LDS family. 
down yeah. near Cedar City now, so so we don't have hardly any information about them. Even the mother wasn't able to get her her children back from the state. And it's sad, you know, but I think that in that situation it was for the best. Although yeah. I think that um, the sister of the man that went to jail, I think she could have been fine raising those kids. You know, she's in an LDS family. They're very, you know, based in reality. And I think they would have been, you know, good. We know them as well. You know, but anyway, but this false spirit that these individuals and like would not rebuke or repent from just destroyed so many lives. Yeah, and it's really sad because when we created those relationships, like they treated the kids like they weren't people. Um, I know it's harder when you treat your kids like they are actual people and they have opinions, but like they didn't do that. And so now, you know, you create this relationship and these bonds with these little people and now we will never see them again. And it's really sad because you know, during their time of instability and craziness, we were trying to help with the stability and trying to um, make the parents do something for them. And even, you know, the extended family, like telling them, you know, you know, asking them, where, what are they doing today? What are, you know, is anybody keeping an eye on this? And it was just so hard. And and it just makes it sad because now we won't be able to see them, you know, they'll yeah. be gone. And, and we, we don't know how they're doing. We were even considered to be the adoptive parents of these children, but the state decided to completely separate them from the whole situation, which I think is good. And these, these you know, girls had to be in therapy and over the whole situation because... Yeah, of indefinitely these, for their whole life. Yeah, because of these deceitful, evil, wicked spirits that these individuals just indulged in. And they destroyed lives, you know. So, anyway, I'll continue on with the reading. There are many blessings that came from the gift of tongues, but there were also many problems and deceptions. Three years after the organization of the church, the prophet gave this warning, quote, As to the gift of tongues, all we can say is that in this place we have received it as the ancients did. We wish you, however, to be careful lest in this you will be deceived. Guard against evils which may arise from any accounts given by women or otherwise. Be careful in all things, lest any root of bitterness spring up among you, and thereby many be uh, defiled. Satan will no doubt trouble you about the gift of tongues, unless you are careful. You cannot watch him too closely, nor pray too much. May the Lord give you wisdom in all things. And that was uh, Doctrinal History of the Church, Volume 1, page 409 is recorded in 1833. In the letter written by Frederick G. Williams, he indicated many of the of these problems that were occurring in the church. Quote, We have seen a letter written to Sister Whitney in Nelson. 
that has a great deal to say about the gift of tongues and the interpretation which was given by way of prophecy, namely that Zion would be delivered by judgment and that certain ones named would go to such and such place among the Lamanites and great things would be done by them and also that two Lamanites were at a meeting and the prophet and the following prophecy was delivered to them that they were our friends and that the Lord had sent them there and the time would soon come when they would embrace the gospel and also that if we will not fight for ourselves the Indians will fight for us through all of this Though all of this may be true, yet it is not needful that it should be spoken, for it is of no service to the saints and has a tendency to stir up the people to anger. No prophecy spoken in tongues should be made public for this reason. Many who pretend to have the gift of interpretation are liable to be mistaken and do not give the true interpretation of what is spoken. Therefore, great care should be taken as respect to this thing. But if any speak in tongues, a word of exhortation or doctrine or the principles of the gospel, etc., let, let it be interpreted for the edification of the church. Doctrinal History of the Church, Volume 1, page 419, page 98. Joseph gives a key to help in discerning these errors. Quote, could anyone tell the length, breadth, or height of a building without a rule? Test the quality of metals with with test the quality of metals without a criterion, or point out of point out the movements of a planetary system without a knowledge of astronomy. Certainly not. If such ignorance as this is manifest about a spirit of this kind who can describe an angel of light if satan should appear as one in glory who can tell his color his signs his appearance or his glory or what is the manner of his manifestation who can detect the spirits of the french prophets with their revelations and their visions and the powers of manifestations or who can point out the spirit of the irvingites with their apostles and prophets and visions and tongues and interpretations? Or who can drag into daylight and develop the hidden mysteries of the false spirits that so frequently are made manifest among the Latter-day Saints? We answer that no man can do this without the priesthood, and having a knowledge of the laws by which spirits are governed. For as no man knows the things of God, but by the Spirit of God, so no, no man knows the spirit of the devil but and his power and influence, but by p- possessing intelligence, which is more than human, and having unfolded through the medium of the priesthood the mystery, mysterious operations of, the, of his devices, without knowing the angelic form, the sanctification, look and the gesture and the zeal that is frequently manifested by him for the glory of God together with the prophetic spirit the gracious influence the godly appearance and the holy garb which are so characteristic of his proceedings and his mysterious windings 
A man must have the discerning of spirits before he can drag into daylight this hellish influence and unfold it unto the world in all of its soul-destroying, diabolical, and horrid colors. For nothing is a great, of greater in, injury to the children of men than to be understood, than to be under, under the influence of a false spirit when they think they have the Spirit of God. And quote Doctrinal History of the Church, Volume 4, page 573. We're on page 99 now. One such problem arose in Jackson County and had to be corrected by the prophet and others. Charles English testified that the Hewlett branch believed that they were received, that they received the word of the Lord by the gift of tongues and would not proceed in their temple business without receiving a word of the Lord. Sylvester Hewlett would speak and Sally Crandall interpret. She uh, said they would not receive the teachings of ordained members, even Brother Joseph Smith Jr. himself, unless it agreed with their gifts. They said that they received the word of the Lord while they were in Jackson County and that they were to be persecuted by their brethren in Clay, Clay County, and now it had come also said that the heads of the church would have to come down and receive the gifts as they did, said that the Hewlett branch had come up to their privileges more than the rest of the church, so they had a spirit of pride and arrogance. They thought they were right, but if they could be convinced that they were wrong, they would retract. Sister Crandall professed to know and see men's hearts, Daniel Stanton testified that Sally Crandall said that she saw his heart and saw two books in it and that there was a Nephite standing behind him to push him into his duty and that Sylvester Coolett spoke in tongues in meeting and Sandy Crandall interpreted thus, Verily, verily, thus saith the Lord unto you, little band. You must beware, for there are many who are seeking to pry into your privileges. Absalom Crenchfield testified that when he was in Jackson County last spring, the Hewlett branch said in tongues they would be safe during the night from the interruption by the mob. But before the morning, Lyman Leonard and Josiah Sumner were whipped. They also had, they also said that they saw my heart and three young women in it. After counselors had spoken, the president said, as for the gift of tongues and the manner it was used in the Hewlett branch, the devil deceived them and that they obtained not the word of the Lord as they supposed, but were deceived. And And as for the gift of seeing as held by the Hewlett branch, it is of the devil, saith the Lord God. We're on page 100. The council were unanimous in sanctioning the decision and appointment of a mass alignment in Simon Carter to go and labor with Brother Hewlett and Sister Crandall and others of that of like faith and set the truth in order before them. I have been particular thus I have been thus particular in given the history of this council as the gift of tongues is so often made use of by Satan 
to deceive the saints. And that was recorded in August of 1834 and also in the Doctrinal History of the Church, Volume 2, page 141. The editor of the Liahona, or Elder's Journal, gave a rather extensive but important explanation of the LDS views of the gift of tongues. Quote, Speaking in tongues, some stir has been occasioned in religious circles in this country by reports from India to the effects that the miraculous gift of tongues has been manifest lately among the Hindu Christians. The principal authority for the report seems to be Mr. W.T. Ellis, a religious worker who recently made a world tour of inspection of the various missionary enterprises of the church and whose past labors were warmly commanded by the Presbyterian Standard of Charlotte, South Carolina. That paper quotes from an address by Mr. Ellis delivered last July the following passage, quote, These girls were pleading for a visitation of the Spirit of God for India. The Spirit of God had come to them and endued them with the spirit of intercessory prayer, and some of these girls who did not understand English were praying in English. Some of the girls who did not understand Greek were praying in Greek, and some of them were praying in Hebrew. Some of them were praying in tongues that no man can interpret. I do not know what it means. The fact, facts are these. I testify to them. Mr. Ellis, as quoted by the standard, further suggests that God is revealing himself to the poor and the ignorant and the heathen as he revealed himself on the day of Pentecost. Or on page 101. The standard, while speaking in terms of the highest praise of Mr. Ellis, Ellis's service to the missionary cause, wants to have his testimony corroborated before accepting it. It says, we do not wish to discredit Mr. Ellis. We prize too highly the magnificent con contributions which he has made to the rising tide of our missionary interests. Our hearts have rejoiced and thanks God for such a voice as we have read his thrilling appeals to the Christian manhood of the church. His addresses are as the clarion note of the trumpet and seem to be rousing the strongholds of heathenism. We would not ab abate one jot of the enthusiasm which they are invoking. At the same time, can we permit his deliberate testimony to, to that which is manifestly miraculous and which he himself parallels to Pentecost to pass unchallenged? From the days of Mont Montanus in the second century down to our own day, there have been from time to time sects of enthusiasts claiming the gift of tongues. At this very hour, there are in, in more than one state of our union earnest souls who make this claim. But all the while, that which passes for conservative orthodoxy has banned, branded this claim of evidence of fan, 
fantasticism. And we now, are we now to revise our judgment in deference to Mr. W.T. Ellis? If so, are we going to give these earnest souls in our land the benefit of this revelation? Or should we rest our faith only on the testimony of Mr. Ellis and grant that alone in far distant India, God has been graciously pleased to duplicate, duplicate Pentecost? We may say for ourselves that we have no zeal in the behalf of skepticism. The idea of genuine Pentecostal miracles is not in the least repellent to us, but out of the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. It would seem to be only fair in case of, in case of this kind to have confirmatory testimony from some of our numerous missionaries in India. The foregoing quotations are given by a literary digest of February 1st and a correspondent in Lehi, Utah, referred, referring to that publication requests Liahona, the Elder's Journal, to give an opinion as to whether this gift of tongues exercised by these Hindu girls comes from the Spirit of the Lord or from some other source. We do not hesitate to express the belief that it does not come by the, by the power of the Holy Ghost, as the genuine gift of tongues always does, but that it is produced by an entirely different agency. This is said on the assumption that the Hindu girls at, actually spoke in an unknown tongue and is described by Mr. Ellis, or as described by Mr. Ellis. We are not undertaking to pass upon this vericity, but would be willing to accept reasonable proof of the phenomena of which he speaks. We regard them as in line with what may be looked in for in various parts of the world. From now on, until the coming of the Son of Man, benighted fan... fan Fanatics in heathen countries are not the only persons who are being deluded by the gift of tongues emanating from a wrong source. Here in the United States during the recent years, in the full blaze of a much-boasted Christendom enlightenment, scholarship, and civilization, many pious and educated persons have been carried away by the same delusion. The persons here referred to filled with missionary zeal and claiming to be possessed of the gift of tongues by which they were able to preach the gospel into the inhabitants of such heathen countries as China, Japan, India, etc., and have gone to those remote parts of the earth expecting to preach to the natives without study or other effort to acquire the language. And dismissal a dismal failure has been the result in every such case so far as we have yet learned. We quote from an article headed Tongue Deluded Missionaries in the Literary Digest of February 8th. 
The movement known as the gift of tongues seemed to prove a curious delusion to those who attempt to test it practically. The missionary, uh, S.C. Todd, of the Bible Missionary Society, writes from Maoko, China, of investigations he has made in the three great mission fields of the world, China, Japan, and India, concerning four different groups of workers who have come out thinking that their gift of tongues was a language with which they could speak to the people. He adds that all of these, when arriving on the field, found they were mistaken and that they could not preach to the people any more than any other missionary who had never heard of the power um, to speak in tongues. Some of the deluded ones have found means to get out to the east only to meet disaster and poverty there. Many who speak in tongues and feel they are called to the mission field are wholly unprepared by the nature or trained to be missionaries and yet are starting for the field. One woman in the United States wrote to the missionary that her 14-year-old daughter has the gift of tongues and can speak in some dozen or more languages. This child feels called to go to China. Mr. Todd gives in the Baptist argues of Louisville, Kentucky, a number of specific cases as follows. I have been asked about a certain Mr. McIntosh, McIntosh, I guess, notwithstanding his statements that he expected to preach at once to the people, he has been wholly unable to do so. He must not only have an interpreter in preaching, but also in the simplest affairs of everyday life. From the day of his arrival in China until now, neither he nor his wife has been able to speak a single sentence in Chinese. I do not speak from rumor, but from personal knowledge and the personal ad- admission of failure by Mr. McIntosh Mac- himself. As to Japan, while there met a party of about a dozen missionaries who had come out of the state of Washington on the Pacific coast, I visited them in their homes and attended one of their services. They too expected to speak at once to the people, but on reaching Japan, they were powerless to do so. They admitted to me in their inability and saw it with my own eyes, and I saw it with my own eyes. As to India, you remember that Reverend A.G. Gar and wife went there also expecting to speak to the people in this supernatural way. But did they? They have now left India and are in Hong Kong. I have attended to two of their services. Mr. Gar, in reply to a personal question of mine, as to whether either he or his wife had been able to talk in the native language of India, said that they had been unable to do so. Again, two ladies came on from the, from the Japan party to Hong Kong because they felt that they had the gift 
of the Hong Kong dialect. I have seen them inquired of their power to talk in Chinese, and they too are unable to speak. Mr. Todd Sargley remarks that there is need of a sober looking at things in America by the leaders of this movement, or these foreign lands will be le- will be the scene of many wrecked lives and wasted service, wrecked lives and wasted service, and speaks also to the serious situation brought to light by the failure of these honest but mistaken people. He lays down these two pro- uh, propositions: quote, the tongue which is being given to so many in America and other lands at this time is not a tongue with which a heathen can be evangelized. None who have this tongue should for a moment think that they are thus qualified to preach to the heathen. By no means let any come to the foreign field until they have had their tongue tested by some someone who actually from that fi- who is actually from that field otherwise they will certainly meet with disappointment on arrival at their de- uh, destination many of the of the homeland who are thus speaking in tongues and looking to the foreign fields are not counting the cost their supposed power of once pre- preaching the people throws in an unhealthy charm about being a missionary. They come out but to find that they are as helpless as a newborn. Why is it that such beneficent results flow from the exercise of the gift of tongues by missionaries of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, while failure, chagrin, and distress attend attempts to employ it made by missionaries of other denominations. Because that church is the only one in the world which possesses divine authority to confer upon converts the Holy Ghost, of which the genuine gift of tongues is at once a fruit and a proof. Except for it's not anymore, which is why Isaiah calls us a dim wick that we once had the light of the gospel, but it's been not completely snuffed out. But anyway, and that's evident by the fruits that are not in the church anymore. How can missionaries who represent the different jarring, conflicting sects of Christendom ascertain whether the gift of tongues displayed by or among them is a genuine manifestation of the Holy Ghost? The exercise of a little sound common sense would be a great aid in reaching a correct conclusion. Take, for example, a party of missionaries in Japan represented a a dozen different sects. Let us suppose a far-fetched supposition, by the way, that each missionary received in a miraculous manner power to speak the native tongue, and each proceeds to, pre- pre- to preach his own doctrine. One teaches that the baptism in- is necessary, another that it is not. A third proclaims sprinkling to be the proper form of the ordinance of baptism, while a fourth declares that converts must be immersed 
and a fifth baptizes infants, and the sixth, sixth limits the rights to persons who have reached an age of de- discretion. A seventh preaches election and foreordination, while the eighth preaches free will and so on. Is it to be for an instant belief that the Holy Ghost, by its immediate miraculous manifestations, would be the author of such confusion? Certainly not. Whence then such a display of the gift of tongues? Whence then such a display of the gift of tongues? All persons witnessing it would be perfectly safe in attributing it to the mischievous and malicious powers of darkness that are in, in, hold on, that are incessantly at war with mankind and consequent are constantly seek to deceive and to entrap all who come within their influence. The beholders of such a display would further be abundantly justified in concluding that the missionaries through whom it was made were not duly authorized servants of the true and living God, and that he had no part nor lot in their labors and would refuse to sanction or ratify anything they might assume to do, to do in his name. What protections have the inhabitants of the earth against being ensnared by the speaking in tongues and the other miraculous manifestations that that emanate from sources of darkness and evil? There is no protection for children of men against such snares of, of the adversary, except in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ as revealed through the prophet Joseph Smith and in the church, which he, under the direction of the Almighty, organized and established. None of the many different Gospels taught by the many different clashing sects of Christendom afford protection against such delusion. Priests and people alike are helpless to detect or guard against them. The children of light are in the world. They are weak and their numbers are few. They are showing their light to the children of men, and it is attracting those who love it in order to confuse and deceive the masses. The adversary is setting up false beacons, which are followed followed by vast multitudes. A great spiritual conflict is thus being waged, and the light is gaining upon the darkness. As the conflict progresses, It will take on physical as well as spiritual features. The wicked will be destroyed and the earth will be prepared for the millennial reign of righteousness of which the scriptures speak. The Latter-day Saints will walk in the light and they are laboring with great diligence to extend it abroad in the world. End quote. Leahona, The Elder's Journal, Volume 5, Page 954 through 959. We're on page 110, and we're 95% through with the reading for today. So the lines are about to open for live calls. The guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. 
That's 917-889-8827. The church had many experiences with the gift of tongues, some good and some bad. It took many years for the saints to understand the nature of this gift and to use it in the manner that God intended. Another de- detriment to the church arose when people apostatized and spiritual gifts seemed to continue with them, but from another source. Brigham Young explained, quote, Take, for instance, the gift of tongues. Years ago in this church, you could find men of age and seemingly of experience who would preach and raise up branches, and when quite young boys or girls would get up and speak in tongues and others interpret, and perhaps that interpretation, instructing the elders who brought them into the church, they would turn around and say, I know my duty, this is the word of the Lord to me, and I must do as these boys or girls have spoken in tongues. You ask one of the elders if they understand things so now, and they will say no. The, gift is, the gifts are from the Lord, and we are agents to use them as we please. If a man is called to be a prophet and the gift of prophecy is poured upon him, though afterwards actually defies the power of God and turns away from the whole commandment, that man will continue in his gift and will prophesy lies. And he's actually kind of quoting Joseph Smith. He said basically the same thing. But Joseph said if you're a seer and then you apostatize, You'll remain with your gift, but your gift of seership will be given to you by the false source. Basically, I'm paraphrasing, but... So Brigham's just basically quoting Joseph Smith here, but... He will make false prophecies, yet he will do it by the spirit of prophecy. He will feel that he is a prophet and can prophesy, but he does it by another spirit and power that which was given of him was given him of the Lord. He uses the gift as much as you or I use ours. Journal of Discourses, Volume 3, page 364. The restoration of the gospel brought a significant new chapter in understanding. With the priesthood and the attending powers and gifts, The saints could learn about the nature of spirits, detecting them and thereby learning how to develop the gift of discernment to keep from being deceived. So that's the end of the chapter. When we come back on tomorrow, which will be Thursday, we will be reading a chapter about, uh, chapter 11 about singing in tongues. So... The guest call-in line is now open for anybody who wants to call in with any questions or comments to go live on the air. Um, It has been open throughout the recorded portions of these programs for off-air questions and comments. And uh, the chat room is available at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally mormon. And uh, all the links to reading this this chapter, this book, and other great books on restoration theology can be found 
at ogdenkraut.com or in the description of this podcast or uh, yeah so anyway uh, I guess we'll just get to the live portion of the program thank you everyone for listening So, Emmett, get a little bit of delayed reaction there, but we're on the program. The guest calling number is 917-889-8827, but we don't have anybody in the call screening room or the chat room, so, and I don't know, is Kim on? Are you on, Kim? I am. Okay, well, I'm going down the hill from the mine, so it's probably going to break up a little bit. But, okay. um, you know, we I pre-recorded that today earlier. Kim was on speakerphone. That's why you can hear her in the background or whatever. And uh, But I don't have anything else to say other than, you know, like – these gifts aren't even evident at all in the church anymore. I mean, they were they were for missionary service. Just that missionaries could learn languages, foreign languages, quicker than uh, the federal government knew how they were doing it. You know, so that was evident. But speaking in the Adamic language is not evident. And if anybody were to even attempt to do this, they would probably be disfellowshipped or at least scolded for interrupting the meeting or whatever, you know. So, I don't know. It is what it is. You know, people, the church is not the same as it was when it was restored. And in order for us to repent, we have to be aware of what we need to repent of, which is why I do these programs, you know, to help you, the listener, understand that you need to follow God and the restored gospel, not this bastardized gospel that they teach you today which has been uh, changed and is not the same gospel. Not even, not even the same. There's a lot of similarities. But uh, they've gone away from the deeper par- uh, portions of, of truth, and they give you skim milk. And uh, most people, when they find out what the truth is, they either apostatize altogether or... They get called apostates by a church in apostasy. You know, because you can't live uh, the restored gospel in the church. But if you go outside of the church to live it, then, you know, you're an apostate. It's like you can't win with these people. Anyway, uh 
Tim, did you have anything that you wanted to add to any of this before we just end the program? Nope, I don't have anything else to add. Okay, well, I am almost down to Highway 6, and I'm headed to Huntington, and I have a great big, great big old headache. I don't know why. So when you bring me my pudding and my flashlight, can you bring me some Advil or something? Yeah, I can bring you some. Okay, so uh, since we have, you know, less than 20 minutes on the program, I'm going to play the Book of Pontiel. And then, uh, like I said, the guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. And if we have any callers, we can go into overdrive for that person. But um, if not, then we'll just end the program after Emmett the book of Pontiel. So go ahead, Emmett, and get that going, and then everybody mute your mics, and uh, yeah, if we have any callers, then great. If not, then uh, we'll be back on tomorrow with Chapter 11 of the Gift of Tongues. So thanks for listening. Bye, Emmett. The Book of Paniel. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Paniel is his name. Wherefore the sword is that of the four winds used by Moses in the destruction of those wicked Anakim who infested the land. Wherefore this shall be the preface of his book which shall come forth by the hand of the Almighty and woe be unto him who shall mock this work, for it has been set forth by the hand of God. Wherefore, it is the record of Paniel as he and his people traveled, or traveled from the land of Assyria northward, even unto the land of Magog. Wherefore, they are of my people Israel, and Paniel shall stand with his posterity upon Mount Zion, and be counted with the gods. For such he hath entered through his faithfulness, by the grace of Christ, even Adam God, looking forward unto his son Jesus, and admonishing his own sons in righteousness, wearing the tunic of the holy priesthood, and traveling through the land of Danta. This is the word of the Lord, unto thee, my son Samuel, and also Yaroslav. Be patient and sober, looking forward unto this account, which shall come forth in mine own due time, even so. Amen. The words of Paniel, or the first, uh, or first Paniel, chapter 1, verse 1. Behold, my name is Paniel, the son of Abizel, son of Beresek, son of Isaac, son of Amos the prophet, who was also the father of Isaiah the prophet. Wherefore I am compiling this record of my father, and also preparing the book that mine sons may write. Verse 2.
and I do write it in Reformed Egyptian, as was the custom among the school of the prophets in the land of Jerusalem. Verse 3. And it being in more pure language, having been reformed back to the best of our knowledge to conform with the language of our fathers, as found upon the pillars of Enoch. Verse 4. And I, Paniel, do raise my hands and confess my sins before the gods of heaven, but I am a sinful man. Verse 5. And I am true, I truly lament my sins that I am cast down into the depths of humility, even before my Elohim. Verse 6. And I was a prisoner in everlasting chains, save for my faith and belief that my Savior would come, not only to me, but also to my people. Verse 7. Wherefore, I have been lifted up to see the ineffable glory of God's kingdom and the taste of his goodness and mercy. And great and powerful is my God, for he hath willed it. Chapter 2, verse 1. And it came to pass that I arose early in the morning and climbed Mount Medela in the land of Assyria, even unto the summit thereof. Verse 2. And there an angel of the Lord spoke with me from behind the veil, and saith, verse 3, My fellow servant, this day hath the Lord called thee up unto this place by the whisperings of his Spirit, that you might be his messenger unto the far places, even unto the wandering tribes of Israel, who hath in the past been carried off for their own good, and that of their posterity. Verse 4. Therefore, praise the Lord God of hosts, the Almighty, for thus I was sent from his presence to tell thee. Verse 5. Wherefore, being in astonishment at the words of the angel, I remained upon the mount and built an altar according to the direction found in the law and praise of the Lord as I was instructed. Verse 6. And I heard the voice of the Lord call me by name in the night, saying, Paniel, Israel hath provoked me to anger, wherefore I have led her off by the neck. And thou hast never at any time seen the land of Jerusalem, nor thy father before me, before thee. But this is according to my design, for behold, look in yonder heavens and see the stars, if thou can number them. Verse 7, Israel shall live in one house, like unto a canopy of heaven, but she shall not return into the land of Jerusalem, nor shall her sons consider it, for it is the land of death and judgment. But I shall make it, make for her a new Jerusalem, which shall be the land of life and mercy. Chapter 3, verse 1. And the word of the Lord continued with me most of the night and unfolded many mysteries unto me. Verse 2. And the Lord saith, There are many heavens and many degrees. And I have made mine elect children a degree above the angels in authority. Verse 3. Wherefore, call them forth with mine ineffable names, and according to the signs and patterns of the priesthood, 
and surely they will obey thee. Verse 4. Now I, Paniel, said, O Lord, mine Father in heaven, shall I live to see the erection of the holy, thy holy temple, whereby, whereby I may fully be endowed, and my children also? And the Lord said, saith, verse 5, Thou shalt receive thine endowments upon the mountain tops, if ye remain steadfast in my law, ye shall even have a blessing at mine hands. Verse 6. For ye must have faith not only in the coming of mine son to the people, but also in mine coming unto thee to redeem thee. Verse 7. And this is the temple of God. And I, Paniel, looked, and behold, the vision was opened up before mine eyes, and I shall recount it. Chapter 4, verse 1. I saw a court full of the beings of light. The walls thereof, er, thereof seemed to be made of bright gold, and the height thereof exceedingly great. Verse 2. Also the ground seemed to be made of precious stones, and these beings were continually singing praises unto the Lord of glory. Verse 3. And the voice of the Lord saith, This is the court of the priests of Aaron, who are eunuchs before me. Therefore, come forth and see greater hidden things. Verse 4. Behold, I was then brought to the gate between the two pillars, which are keywords and signs. And the angel with me gave three knocks upon the right one. Verse 5. And the guardian of the door saith, All ye Aaronic priests have heard the ringing of the keyword, and do ye have the report before the Lord? Verse 6. And I heard one say, He is a just man, and passeth the ordinances of our order and can have half the key, but the other half has not been revealed. Verse 7. The guardian then saith, he shall receive it. And a token and a key were administered. Chapter 5, verse 1. Now it came to pass that he looked upon the left, and a key was given. And he looked upon the gate, and a key was given. And the Spirit ushered me through into the holy place. Verse 2, And now I, Paniel, did perceive that this was indeed the heavenly temple from which the Lord of hosts did send forth his decrees. Verse 3, For behold, when the gate did open, the light was so brilliant that it made all else look as darkness, and it was only opened but a small portion. Verse 4, and I was taken down this hall of light until I came to a grand council room with many other rooms pertaining to the ordinances of the house of the Lord. Verse 5. Wherefore I saw the altar of incense, where upon the, praise, the prayers of the saints are continually ascending up through the veil to the Lord of hosts. Verse 6. And I saw many brethren in the robes of the priesthood, but I did also notice that there were many more women than men, verse 7, and that the women were worshipping under veils of many different colors, singing in tongues and praising the Lord of glory, chapter 6, verse 1. Wherefore I raised up my hands 
Wherefore I raised my hands up and prayed, saying, O Father, that I could only be counted worthy to be among these here praising thy name forever. Verse 2. And the voice of the Lord saith, Thou knowest not what thou sayest. For behold, there is a level more glorious and powerful than this. Verse 3. For this place which thou hast entered is the Melchizedek level, but thou shalt be permitted, if faithful, to see the patriarchal level, which is full of the mysteries of the Elohim. Verse 4. And the angels are not permitted to see it, because they have made limitations in their minds, attempting to bind me, the Lord of hosts, down from eternal progression, for they know me not. Verse 5. Now I was permitted to see the veil of the temple, and how the signs thereof shone with light and glory, and did make such an impression upon my mind that I cannot forget them. And I know all truth is one, and that the left arm of the law leads to eternal glory. Verse 6. And the vision was ended, and I and said I, Cursed is he that attempteth to bind the Lord, for he doth not know the God which he doth worship. And spiritually minded, and the spiritually minded shall inherit eternal life. Verse 7. For what profiteth the judgment and mercy of the two priesthoods if they have not the honor of searching out knowledge and wisdom on all matters? For this is the honor of kings, to know and exercise truth, which is the honor and the fullness of the priesthood, even that patriarchal priesthood of the Father, which the angels have shut out from their own minds. Chapter 7, verse 1. Now do I know my now do I know my Savior shall come to me personally if I press forward without wavering. Verse two. Even the Son of Jehovah, even or he who is in the Garden of Eden, shall come and anoint me if I am faithful. And also the Son of the Son of Jehovah shall come to my people of the lost tribes of Israel. Of this I bear a particular testimony. Verse 3. And oh, what ecstasy doth fill me with, doth, or this doth fill me with, to know that God ruleth in the heavens with the scepter of power, and that the King of glory is mindful of me. Verse 4. Who am simply a sinful outcast of Israel, whose fathers have paid tribute to the Assyrian kings as serfs upon the land. Verse 5, And I, just a lowly shepherd who walk up in a mountaintop and exercise the faith in the God of my fathers, am shown these things. Oh, what a merciful God is the God of Israel. Verse 6, And now I will compile unto this book a more particular account of my fathers of how my fathers came to this place and how some of my people have rebelled against Assyria calling themselves the sons of Isaac verse 7 and how they have migrated into the east and have wandered from time to time with the Medes and how they are wander a wandering people going to and fro in the earth 
and how some have also gone into the northern countries. Thus I end mine own story for a time. And that is the book of Poniel. Okay, can you hear me now? Yep. Okay, so I did have some questions come to me through Messenger on Facebook. Somebody wanted to know, um, well, what did they say? They said, um, so the first chapter of Genesis is true, and the second chapter just a whole metaphor chapter? No. Um, the reason why there's two creations is spoken of in chapter 1 and chapter 2 of the book of Genesis is because the first one was spiritual. God creates all things spiritually first. This earth was spiritually created before it was physically created. Um, and so are we. We're spiritually created before we're physically created. So all things are set in, uh, in motion in a spiritual manner. And then the second chapter of Genesis is that the physical creation took place. That's why it doesn't it doesn't follow the same timeline because they're two separate instances, one spiritual, one physical. And then this individual says, I've heard that the first, the first one is spiritual and the second physical, that, which makes a lot of sense, especially for those who believe in the preexistence. <laughs> Maybe that's a book that we'll read after we do the gift of tongues, the preexistence, um, there's like three in a series. One of them's resurrection. I can't remember what the other one is. But anyway, um, and then he says, I thought, uh, could it be possible Adam and Eve are from Mars? Because Mars was once like an Earth, and Adam, Adam's name in Hebrew means red earth, Mars is a red planet, just a theory. Um, I've never heard Adam meaning um, red earth. That's interesting. Um, I don't know. I guess I'd have to look into that, but I've never heard that definition of the word Adam. I know Adam, it means man. So... Whenever uh, in the scriptures it says son of man, the word there is Adam. Um, also, Adam and Eve are uh, more celestial beings who are exalted, who are husband and wife before this world was created. And under the direction of God, the eternal father, who is Adam on men, the council of the Elohim, who are the exalted ones, who we could call gods, but there's only one eternal, uh, well, one eternal male and one eternal female, who are the beginning before everything else. And everyone who is like them is created after their image. Uh, but there are many exalted ones, and there have been many billions and billions and trillions and whatever planets 
like this throughout the eternities. And um, the council of the Elohim under the direction of Adam, amen, or God the Eternal Father, had Yehovah, our Elohim, our exalted one, not Jesus Christ, the grandfather of Jesus Christ, send um, they, uh, the Elohim, or the exalted one, sent Yehovah to show Michael how to create the earth, and then Michael did the work of creation. And then at the end of the work of creation, he took upon himself um, the name of Adam, and Ashura, our mother, who is our God, who is our eternal, or not our eternal mother, but our uh, our heavenly mother, she took upon her name of God, the eternal mother, who is Hava. I don't know why we call her Eve. That's not her name. Anyway, but she's the mother of all living, both spiritually and physically, speaking to uh, us as children of our God. So um, Jehovah was once a redeemer on an older earth, but he is not Jesus Christ. So, um, but they were celestial when this earth was first created, and they were placed in the garden. They partook of the fruit of mortality, and they descended from a celestial exalted resurrection to a telestial uh, through terrestrial and then celestial, and then they had uh, had uh, bodies. They created bodies through the medium of sex and pregnancy, and uh, it was uh, that they were able to uh, create bodies for their spirit children to come back down into another mortal probation. So. Um, I know that the Elohim are very advanced in their technology, and they probably could have seeded and terraformed Mars before they seeded and terraformed this planet. So all, all, all create means in Hebrew is to organize. This planet already existed, but they organized it to inhabit it with their children. And uh, they may have tried to uh, terraform Mars. Maybe they did. Maybe they didn't. I don't know. I don't know if there was a civilization on Mars at one time, but after an Earth goes through one mortal, uh, one probation, because the Earth is also a living creature, becomes terrestrialized during the millennial period and then at the end of the millennial period it becomes celestialized and that's why John saw that this earth would become like a sea of glass but this individual asking me questions asked what does it look like to be a sea of glass it looks like a star or a sun this earth becomes a star or a sun or celestial exalted beings to dwell on. When Brigham Young and Joseph Smith talked about there being men on the sun, mankind, men and women, he wasn't lying. 
the surface of the sun that we see is the actual atmosphere of the sun. So before the flood of this earth, this earth had, um, had water all around it from the rays of the sun. It was a terrestrial earth. When that, when that atmosphere of water was stripped away, it became a telestialized earth. And uh, that's why you see people living not as long as they used to live. Um, but the sun is kind of the same way. So the outer surface of the sun is actually what we see as the atmosphere. But under the surface, there is another atmosphere. And there is landscapes. And there are, it's, it's really hard to describe. There's crystals. Um, there's civilization, there's exalted animals or creatures, very intelligent ones. Uh, there are exalted beings. Um, there is, um, there's uh, crystal ships that they use to, uh, they use to go, you know, to travel throughout the universe if they need to. The ark that brought all of the animals here to this earth is there, and the thing is like as tall as Mount Everest. I mean, I I can't describe how tall it is. It's huge. It's a huge cube, and it has different sections for different kinds of animals, and they used it to populate this earth with the animals that Adam or Michael wanted to bring to this earth. It's there. Because the time will come when we will have to terraform a new earth. And we will have to seed the new earth with plants and animals. And a new Adam and Eve will be chosen. And that will actually be uh, Jesus and his wife, Mary. Of course I do. Anyway, they called me Redbeard on, uh, you know, driving a truck. My uh, my nickname's Redbeard. Anyway, so um, there will have to be an earth terraformed. Jesus and his wife, Mary, will have uh, will become an Adam and Eve. And I will become a savior. Which will be interesting. Anyway, uh, can you still hear me? Is Kim there? I don't know if Mom's here. I can hear you, though. Oh. She went to the store, and so she might be listening, just muted. Oh, I actually said, uh, told her you, uh, to give me sugar-free pudding. I was kind of joking, but I was kind of not. She anyway, but... Um, <laughs> I found Kim anyway. in the store getting you a Cedron. Oh, you're buying me a Cedron? Uh-huh. Uh, thanks, Danielle. Is Kim driving? Is that why she can't talk? No, she's in the store. Oh, you're in the car. She's in the store. Okay. I was going to... I was track. What? Uh, she left you like a child. 
Okay, whatever. Anyway, um, Tim and I are married. I'm just saying that, you know, um, eventually Kim and I will become an Adam and Eve of our own planet. Like, that's how you get a planet. Like, this whole idea that Nelson, Russell M. Nelson, that we don't get planets. Like, I'm sorry, your man is trying to dumb down the church to make it like all the other uh, non-denominational churches out there. And they're actually contradicting their own teaching. So... You know, I'm sorry that they're doing that, but he is truly a Judas goat. And for those of you who love him, I am sorry. I am sorry that he is doing what he's doing. But it must be exposed, and it has been exposed. And people who do not want to hear it, they don't want to hear the truth. Because they care more about a man in the flesh than they care about the restored gospel of God. Or Zion's redemption, for that matter. So anyway, um, but yeah, exalted celestialized beings do live on the surface of stars. So anyway, I, I guess we'll just be done with the program for uh, now. Um, I will give Kim a call in just a minute, and then I'll talk to Emmett. I'll talk to you later. Thank you, Danielle, for. Um, for letting me know about Kim, but Danielle, our friend. No problem, Stephen. <laughs> my name is Mark Tyson Trentlick and Walter. My family calls me Tyson. Everybody else calls me Mark. So my friends call me Tyson. That's why Danielle called me Tyson. But my first name is Mark. Anyway, um, all right, well, Emma, just go ahead and cue the music, and we'll be back on tomorrow with another chapter of The Gift of Tongues. Thank you for listening. Cue the music, Emma.
With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.